InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Many people are quitting the corporate cubicle to follow an independent path in today's so-called gig economy. As Uber, Airbnb, and others make it easy to earn extra income on your own schedule. Here with more, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Studies show that so-called gig workers, also called freelance or independent workers, now number 41 million, or about one-fifth of the U.S. workforce. That's a radical shift from the traditional nine-to-five model of employment. This trend toward an increasing gig economy presents opportunities and risks. And here now to sort it out is Marion McGovern, CEO, entrepreneur, and author of Thriving in the Gig Economy, How to Capitalize and Compete in the New World of Work. Help us understand what's led to the incredible trend toward more workers being employed as freelancers working from gig to gig. You know, gigs have been around for a long time, so that aspect isn't new. What is new is the fact that now the marketplace is becoming far more efficient. So it used to be hard 50 years ago. If you wanted to find a gig, you kind of had to find it on your own. And now a lot of money has gone into digital marketplaces where you can find that resource, whether it's a driver to take you somewhere a person to deliver your dry cleaning, or a web designer, or a data scientist. There are all sorts of gigs out there at all sorts of levels. And what are the top three misconceptions about the gig economy? I would say, first, it is that it's all about drivers. As I say, there are lots of people doing gigs. It's a very diverse world, everything from commodity-type services, delivery services, all the way through highly skilled things, electricians, plumbers, web designers, copy editors, videographers, to very sophisticated expertise levels. So that is one. Another is that it is just a way for companies to get out of paying benefits. And the truth of the matter is that of the 41 million people that are doing this, an enormous number are doing it by choice. And the only way that an employer can get access to that talent is to hire that person on a freelance basis because they want to run their business this way. So I guess that would be the third misconception is that this is sort of a sad story, but it's actually not. It's very empowering. It's empowering that so many people are becoming entrepreneurs and being able to thrive. Now, that said, there are issues around the social safety net and other things that need to be dealt with. But on the whole, I think it's a very optimistic story. Let's talk about high-end gig workers. How do they establish their competency, market themselves, and ultimately get gigs? Well, you know, a lot of the high-end workers already have a following, if you will. You know, they already have a reputation. They already have credentials, whatever their field is. So in some cases, they go out on their own because they feel they could make more money. They can do better work and have more control over what they do. So for some, their reputation precedes them, if you will. But for many, you have to do some work to establish yourself. You have to create your own brand. You have to understand what your skill level is worth in the marketplace, which can involve going to former colleagues or former employers and saying, you know, if you were to buy my services, what would that look like? You can go to some of the digital platforms and see what kinds of projects are being offered at what sorts of fees, keeping in mind that in some of these areas, 
it is an international class of worker. So if you're a high-end web developer in America, you may be charging one thing, but someone in Bangladesh or India or Vietnam may be charging something quite different. So it is the global marketplace, especially in certain technical fields, and that has to be considered in that pricing milieu, if you will. We're visiting with Marian McGovern, author of Thriving in the Gig Economy, How to Capitalize and Compete in the New World of Work. You began to raise some concerns, and I did see a recent study that said 63% of independent workers need to dip into their savings during any given month, while only 20% of those employed in traditional ways have that need. Can most people make a living in the gig economy? Again, it sort of depends on your field and the nature of the type of work that you do. One thing that is often lost in the discussions about gig work is the fact that for many, it is supplemental. For many, they are already employed as a teacher, a masseuse, a musician, or whatever, and they are driving for Uber or Lyft to get additional income. There are more opportunities for people to supplement their regular work whether it's by driving or, you know, walking dogs because of the rise of these talent intermediaries that are digital and more accessible to most people. In fact, there's one economist that has suggested that our employment data is no longer relevant looking backwards because it used to be that if you were on unemployment at some point when it ran out, you had to do something because there was nothing else. Well, now there is something else. You know, you can drive for Uber or be a task rabbit person or whatever. So the valleys that we used to see 20 years ago are not quite as deep, potentially, as they were then. And there are probably other opportunities and advantages in the gig economy, are there not? Well, you know, the people who do it, these 41 million people, I mean, almost half of them say they would never go back to regular work regardless of how much they were going to get paid. The value of control, I mean, some people say it's flexibility, but it's really control. It's control over your time. It's control over what you do. It's control over for whom you do it. And people value that tremendously. In fact, there was one study that has been going on for seven years, and when they started this study, they asked the question, do you feel more financially secure being a freelancer? And only 12% said yes. Last year, it was up to 49%. So that's a big jump. Marian, you were talking before about price setting. How does a gig worker set a price for his or her services? You really have to figure out what the value of the work is. I think some people like to think about what they may have earned in an employed role and then do the division by 2,000 hours or whatever, but that's not really appropriate. It's really what is the work for, and by the same token, you could be a financial consultant, for example, and if there's a project that you can do in your sleep, you know, maybe you don't charge so much for that versus a project that has some risk to you that would involve more, a project that will give you new skills. You might want to charge less for that because you want to build your own intellectual capital, if you will. So that is worth that investment in your time and therefore a lower fee. So it's more of an art than a science. And I caution people, don't just say my fee is, you know, $50, $80. It really depends on what the work is. And again, in some of these platforms, you can find that out. You know, a whole other aspect of the gig world are those independent business owners 
who provide services personally, whether it's an electrician, a plumber, again, a videographer. I got my videographer through Thumbtack, which is one of these platform companies, where they would say, people in your zip code typically charge this amount for that kind of service. So the contractor gets that information, the client gets that information, and it helps create really the market leveling price, if you will. And you've said that companies are preparing their own employees to become gig workers of the future. How are they doing that? Well, many are doing a lot more project work where they're bringing their own employees in and assigning them to maybe projects outside their normal realm. And so these individuals are working with employees from other units, but they're also working with outsiders who might be brought into the group. So they're getting exposure to this notion of putting together these teams, having them do their thing and then disband. So they're getting that experience of being part of a group of workers that are connected more by the project than by their employment. So if that individual then goes off and becomes a consultant on their own, they have that experience. Part of the challenge of creating high-performance teams that include both employees and non-employees is that feeling of trust within the group. So, you know, one of the things that companies have to figure out is a new way to bring in outside resources where they can quickly and efficiently get them feeling credible and trusting of the rest of the group so that they can be as effective as folks that have worked together for a long time over the years. So interesting. Marion McGovern, author of Thriving in the Gig Economy, How to Capitalize and Compete in the New World of Work. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks of Chicago.